You are listening to the weekly podcast from Journey Christian Church. For more information about Journey, please check out our website at journeychristian.com. We are a community of fully devoted disciples of Jesus who reach out to love our neighbors, serve the hurting, and develop leaders for ministry. We are in a new series, as you just heard, called Analog Christian. And, and I love this, this idea. It came, uh, I was hanging out with a buddy of mine, and he wrote a book. This is Jay Kim. Jay Kim wrote a book called Analog Christian. And this is us just before we thought we were about to die, climbing like thousands of stairs. And so Jay is a good friend of mine, and he wrote a book called Analog Christian. And the whole series, and even his book and his heart, isn't anti-technology, It's just asking the appropriate questions. How do we follow Jesus in a fast-paced digital age that we all live in? The unique thing about Jay is Jay is the lead pastor of a church in the Silicon Valley. And if you don't know the Silicon Valley, it is the hub. It's the headquarters of pretty much every major tech industry in the world. Uh, so every Facebook, Google, any, anyone that you can think of, and it's also a startup hub. So almost, he told me about 70% of his church works in the tech industry. So it's not anti-tech, it's how do we navigate this appropriately. But to ignore it and act like we're living in the same context as, as people were 500 years ago, that's just silliness. It does have an impact. The question is, how do we navigate it? And uh, Jay Kim's book, Analog Christian, you go ahead and throw that up. Uh, His book is going to, we're going to sell it uh, here at Apopka in the cafe. You can get that Lake County. We're going to have that in the lobby online. You can just click the link uh, online as well. And and we don't get anything from this and you don't have to get this to follow the series. But some of y'all really like reading and some of you come up to me every series say, hey, that was a great series, a great message. Uh, Do you have any anything else? Or you mentioned a book. And so this is what we're doing. We're not just introducing this book. But we're introducing a new page on our website, and it's journeychristian.com resources. And this is where we're going to put a lot of different resources to help resource you to help grow in your faith. So many people are, are, come to me and say, hey, do you have a good book in mind for me? Or what's a good uh, devotional? Or, or how can I grow my faith? You go to resources. These are books that I've read that I recommend for anything from discipleship to leadership to marriage to family and parenting, anything and everything. And we're going to continually update that. So you can all go there. It's summertime. Some of y'all are looking to add a, a book to your summer list. And we want to be able to come alongside and help you. Sound good? Yeah. All right. Let's dive in, huh? Come on. So here's the deal. My idea when I think about how to live out our faith in this, in this digital age, I have this weird thought, this picture in my head, and I thought, how can I let them see the picture in my head? And the picture is this. What would the Apostle Paul look like if he had our technology? So the Apostle Paul, he wrote 13 books of the New Testament. He was a missionary, a church planner. I'm like, what would his life look like? How would he leverage technology? What would he like? What would he post? What would he retweet? But also, what would his boundaries be? And so as I think about either Jesus or, or Paul, I think, man, what would their life, what would their ministry look like if they had the technology that we had? Because technology is not all bad. We can leverage it with kingdom purposes, but I think it's also healthy to have some boundaries. With that said, we're going to land this entire series in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26. Galatians is one of the uh, letters that Paul wrote. It's in the New Testament, about halfway through uh, the New Testament. So if you open up in the middle of your Bible, just take a right, and then uh, maybe another right, maybe a left. I don't know. Somewhere around there is Galatians. 
If you have the Bible, let's see back in front of you. It's page 1004. This is what it says. Paul's saying this. He says, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. This is a major verse that we're gonna unpack. There's a graph that I kind of want, I want to show you to kind of help illustrate. What this is saying is there's on this side, the desires of the flesh. And on this side, we walk by the spirit. And it says that they are at conflict with one another so that when I am walking by the spirit, I'm not in the flesh. And when I am desiring the flesh, then I'm not walking in the spirit. And some of us are in this battle where we're focused so much on just saying no, 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 no. The way that you do is you don't say no to this. You say yes to this. And that's what, that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying they're at conflict. And he's saying we are to walk by the spirit. Let's keep going. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Highlighted the word obvious. I want everybody on the count of three to say obvious. One, two, three. Obvious. Obvious. We're going to get to that. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, which is like division and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. The acts of the flesh are obvious, is what the word of God says. Here's what I want to caution us with. We live in a culture that, that does no longer see obvious sin and call it obvious sin. We live in a culture that says obvious sin is gray. Now be careful, because here's what we all just did. We heard that and we said, amen, pastor, and you thought about somebody else's sin. I'm not talking about somebody else's sin. I'm talking about the sin you and I have that we're justifying. I'm not talking about a culture that's outside the church. I'm talking about a culture that's also inside the church. You see, in the church, we don't gossip. We just have prayer requests. <laughs> and we made what was obvious gray. And so what, they're, what the word of God is saying is we need to make sin obvious to ourselves. We're great. We are so good at making sin obvious to other people. That's not, what it, that's not our job. Our job is to look in the mirror and go, what, where have I made obvious sin justifiable or gray? Where has God told me something's black and white and I'm making it cloudy? You see, we can be really good at spotting others, other people's sin and really bad at acknowledging our own. And listen, this is not something that I want to uh, shame us and rub our nose into our sin, but understanding and recognize sin is so important because if we don't recognize sin, then we don't need a savior. If we don't understand we have sin, then I don't need uh, the cross. I don't need an empty tomb. But sin is a really big deal because it's your sin and my sin that put our Savior on a cross. And it says there is obvious sin, and we need to make sure we're always calling sin, specifically our sin, obvious. But here's the good news. Somebody like, Pastor, give me some good news. Okay. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's where you could say Amen. Is joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So this is what we're going to do all summer long. 
I just gave you a sneak preview where we're going all summer long. We're going to look at Galatians 5 and unpack it week by week. So today we're going to talk about love instead of self-centric despair. Next week, joy instead of comparison. We got peace instead of content. Patience instead of impatience. I've already had the previous service. Somebody asked me to do this series a little or this message earlier. And uh, so I said, I don't You got some problems. I don't know what to tell you. Kindness instead of hostility. Goodness instead of immorality. Faithfulness instead of forgetfulness. Gentleness instead of outrage. And self-control instead of reckless indulgence. So that's where we're going all all summer long. I'm excited about this. And and we're going to kind of take a little bit of a look. We're going to dive into scripture, but then look into our context and look through the lens of of how do we live this out in a fast-paced digital world. So today we're going to talk love instead of self-centric despair. Between 2006 and 2016, the suicide rate for those between the ages of 10 and 17 rose by 70%. Just a decade. At the same time, high schoolers having suicidal thoughts rose by 25%. The number of teenagers diagnosed with clinical depression rose by 40%. And this is absolutely heartbreaking. Social media may not be so social at all. American psychologist Gene Twinge said this, we're on the brink of the worst mental health crisis in decade. So what's the answer? Like we, we, we kind of see, and I think that's what COVID did is we were able to see kind of the, the devastation, what technology can do, but what's the answer? We know the problem. What's the answer? The answer to me is really simple. It's love. That's the answer. And some of y'all are like, man, what are you, what are you talking about? That's, no, I'm not talking about self-centric love. Like I love the Orlando magic. Or I love pizza or I love the, I'm not talking. Those are things that you or I like, but love in its purest form is selfless. The way that God designed love is not self-centered. As a matter of fact, God defines it. If you've ever been to a wedding, you can quote this. First Corinthians 13, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That's that's love. So what's the difference between love and self-centric despair? Well, by definition, self-centric is preoccupied with oneself. Self-centric is when you are just preoccupied with yourself, which, you know, love is about other people and self-centric is about you. Narcissists see other people as a way to get what they want. That's different than self-centric. To narcissists, people are pawns for their own agenda. But self-centric people, they just struggle to see people all together. And technology has accelerated that. If I were to ask you, what is the opposite of love? Most of us, without even thinking, would say, I know the answer, hate. That's not the opposite of love. The opposite of love is indifference. Indifference is a lack of interest, concern, or sympathy. The opposite of love is I don't even see or care about anybody outside of my world. That's the opposite of love. It's self-centric. It's when you simply don't care. 
and our digital age accelerated this. We've seen this with smartphones. Anytime many of us get into an uncomfortable situation, whether it's we're waiting for a long time at the doctor's office or we're at a party and your friend hasn't showed up, you're bored. Instead of engaging those around you like, like our great grandparents would do, the old people, what we do is we just take our phone out. And what are we doing when we're doing this? We're disengaging everybody else. And we are becoming self-centered and we are secluding. We don't say those words, but that's what we're, we are disengaging and we are indifferent to everyone around us. We don't see them. We don't know them. We don't care about them. It's whatever. We have disengaged and become indifferent. Several years ago, Apple revealed that the average person unlocks their phone 80 times a day. And that was several years ago. And I probably skewed that survey up because it's a lot more than that. <laughs> First Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13.1, if I speak the tongues of men and or of angels, but do not have love. I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Listen, it's all about love. The band Switchfoot has a song. Love is a movement. And that, that's, that's what God's movement is. That's what Jesus came for. Love is the movement. First John 4, 8 says God is love. Love isn't something just God does. God is love. And God wants to give you love so much, but not just to give you love. He calls to give you love so that you can receive it and give it. And few of us are great at both. And so I want to encourage you today. Would you maybe practice receiving the love of God? Or maybe you're good at receiving and God's calling you to give the love of God to others. And this call is to do both receive and give. St. Francis of Assisi says it's in giving that we receive. Henry Nouwen in his book, Life of the Beloved says, our humanity comes to its fullest bloom in giving. We become beautiful people when we give whatever we can give. A smile, a handshake, a kiss, an embrace, a word of love, a present, a part of our life, or to some, all of our life. And I love that. So how do we move from self-centric despair to this beautiful form of selfless love. If you're taking notes, it's really easy. It's really, and we've already showed the answer. The answer is this, by walking by the Spirit. Some of you are like, hey, that's good, pastor. That's step one. What's step two? That's it. That's steps A through Z. How do we move from self-centric despair to selfless love? We walk by the Spirit. That's it. That's all we do. First Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So you have on the graph, you have the desires of the flesh here, and you have walking by the Spirit here. It's really simple. How do you move from one to the other? You just simply walk by the Spirit because they're at conflict. When you walk by the Spirit, you are not desiring the flesh. So what's the answer? We just walk by the Spirit. Because here's why. It's what I know about all of us. Every day when we wake up, there is a natural gravitational pull towards this side. Every day we wake up, I don't have to try to love Dustin. I fall in love with Dustin every day. <laughs> but what Jesus says is to pick up my cross and to crucify Dustin every day and to walk by the Spirit. And when I walk by the Spirit, it changes me from the inside out. 
What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? It means to intentionally engage with God. That's what many of you are doing right now. Lake County, online, Apopka, that's what you're doing. You're the, uh, in a service, listening to a service. One way, shape, or form, you are, you are trying to intentionally walk by the Spirit right now. That's what, what we refer to as a quiet time looks like. When you get up in, in the morning and you just pray or meditate, or, or some of you, you might want to say, you know what, I'm just going to go on a 10, 15-minute uh, walk around my neighborhood and just focus on the goodness of God. That's walking by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit is any time you intentionally engage with God on a daily basis. That's what it means. Again, Galatians 5, 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This word walk, it's a Greek word, peripatetic. And what it means is this. It means to walk around after someone. So when it says to walk by the Spirit, it's this walking around, following someone. As a matter of fact, in Aristotle's day, the minions that would follow Aristotle, they had a word for the group of people. They didn't call them minions. You know what they called them? They called them peripatetics. That's what they called his group. Because they were the group that was walking around, just following him. You want to know what it means to, to walk by the Spirit? It means that we just walk around and follow the teacher. We walk around and follow Jesus. We walk around and pick up his breadcrumbs, and we just walk around and we learn from him, and we sit with him. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit. The way we deal with sin is not just by saying no to the flesh, but by saying yes to the Spirit. Leave this up for a second. I think so, listen, one of the number one things when I connect and engage with people on a counseling scenario, and they're like, man, I just don't know how to turn my life around. They have the best intentions, but the wrong effort because all of their effort is focused on saying no to the flesh. That's all the effort. All their effort is, it's, listen, if the flesh is over here and the spirit is over here, it makes sense. I get it. This is what's tripping me up. So I need to focus on this and say, no, 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 no. But what the word of God is saying is don't focus out on that at all. You just focus on the spirit. You walk by the spirit. And when you walk by the spirit, he'll change you from the inside out. And your eyes can't be focused on both things at the same time. And so what we don't do is we don't pull up our sleeves and say no to the flesh. We get on our knees and we say yes to the spirit. And some of you, is, this is why you're exhausted in your faith. This is why some of you, you hear words from Jesus that says, following me is easy. And you're like, what are you talking about? It's because you've been trying to say no to the flesh. And that is a hard battle. Instead, we say yes to the spirit. Amen. Amen. I told y'all this was easy. This is what Jesus said. This is how Jesus breaks it down. So easy. John 15, 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much what? Fruit. Fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I used to have some banana trees in my backyard. Listen, I don't know if this is just a dude thing. Ladies, I recommend it. If you've never taken a machete to a banana tree, it's one of the best feelings in the world. Uh, seriously, I think God made them just for me because a machete just slices through banana trees. So it makes me feel, I feel so secure, like a man. I feel like he man when I cut down a banana tree. 
And I would watch the banana tree. And you know what I've never seen about a banana tree? I've never seen a banana tree try to produce bananas, ever. <laughs> bananas, banana trees don't try to produce fruit. They just produce fruit by being a banana tree. You don't try to be more loving and kind and faithful. You just sit in the presence of God and he makes you more loving and patient and joyful. And the problem is we're putting all of our effort into doing something instead of just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And when we sit at the feet of Jesus, he changes our appetite. Literally changes our appetite. This is why some of you, years ago, you used to be stingy and now you're generous. Not because you have to, but because it's in your spirit. This is why some of you, you used to put people down and now you're the biggest encourager. Not because you're trying, it's just coming out of your spirit. God has changed your appetite. This is what he does. And when you see God change somebody, it's because they've been at the feet of Jesus. It's not because they worked really hard at something. And I'm not minimizing effort. I'm just saying it's when we sit at the feet of Jesus, he changes us from the inside out. If we abide in Christ, fruit happens naturally. Fruit isn't found by trying harder. It's by coming closer. Closer to the Father. I've got to see this live out firsthand with a couple at Journey. It's a beautiful couple that I'm going to introduce you to. Bob and Linda Jones, as a matter of fact, have just celebrated their 40th wedding anniversary. Isn't that cool? Listen, if you thought that was good, you're going to love their stories. Check this out. I'm Linda Jones. I met my husband, Bob, in... December of 1982, we had a blind date to a dinner, and we've been together ever since. We got married in 83, May 21st. Then, 11 months later, I was at work. I was standing up on a 19 feet in the air and got uh, pushed off the building by a piece of steel that was floating in the air on a crane. And I wound up with a broke back. That was 11 months after we got married. I think I was numb initially. The doctor did call me back eventually before I saw Bob and he explained to me he had a broken neck. And then I went in the room to see Bob and his first words to me were, I'm sorry. And I said, for what? You know, I'm glad you're alive but I didn't know the rough road we had in front of us. Not at that time. I uh, remember sitting in the backyard thinking, I could not even commit suicide if I wanted to. And the only thing kept us going was our prayer life together, which looking back doesn't seem like it was much. To me, despair is hopelessness. And God does not want us to be without hope. There are times it's hard that you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. I have to trust that God's around that corner. I feel like some days he takes me to the corner. It's like, okay, you can turn, but you're going to have to follow me at the turn because he's ahead of me. He's not behind me. He's before me, and he's leading me. Love is a choice. Hey. You can actually choose to love somebody or choose not to. And a lot of times, it is just so easy to say, 
I'm done. I'm out of here. And that's it. Yeah. But if you love the Lord while in your life and you made a commitment on that wedding day, you would love, honor, and cherish each other through sickness and health till death do you part. Yeah. Been pretty close to all those things. And I would not want to go through it again without one. I think receiving and giving God's love is a reciprocation that we learn over the years. I did not glimpse God as a loving father for a long time. And it took getting saved and a few other spiritual things that happened in my life at that time that I realized how much God loved me. And that was a real hard concept for me to grasp. And then I meet this man that loves me a lot too. And I have to give that love back to him. And some days I don't want to, but it's what God would have me to do. And I think once you learn something like that, it is embedded in your heart. We just recently celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary, which is a miracle. We made it 40 years. She has displayed God's love to me so, so many ways. Clint and I would not be anywhere if we didn't have the Lord in our lives. Yeah, I love the Lord. He's given me this girl. And I don't want to go do life, life all over again without her. It's just... Amen. Amen. their story and got to know them I said I'm putting y'all on camera <laughs> so Bob and Linda uh, I know you're watching I just want to say thank you not for agreeing to the interview but for decades of faithfulness and showing the capital C church the church around the world what it looks like to allow God to change you from the inside out you see, off camera, I was talking to them, and one of the things they said is, Pastor Dustin, you just don't know how blessed we are. God's favor and kindness has been so big in our life. And here's the thing. To some people, they would hear that and see that and be like, what are you talking about? Because that person is living according to the flesh. Bob and Linda have been walking by the Spirit. And it has changed them from the inside out. And they see one another the way God sees one another. And because they're walking by the Spirit, there is a selfless love that exudes out of them. Not just for each other, but for all people. With God first. John 15, he is the vine, we are the branches. If we stay connected to him, we'll bear much fruit. I want to show you a picture. This is a trellis. I don't know if you're familiar with this. Vines, the, the way they work, they're different than trees. Trees have the support system to stand on their own. Vines do not. And vines, if they just are kind of in their natural uh, world on, on the ground, they're more vulnerable to disease and they lack the sunlight for them to flourish. And so what a, a trellis does, and these are very common all over, all over the world, is it allows the vines to grow, which minimizes disease and maximizes sunlight. So if you and I 
are to maximize the sun in our life. We need a trellis. Let me ask you, what is your spiritual trellis? What is it that every day you wake up is holding you up spiritually? Most Christians, sadly, what we accidentally do is we wake up and we say, tomorrow, I'm going to figure it out. The next day, I'm going to figure it out. And that's okay if you're the most disciplined person in the world. But every day when I wake up, I really love Dustin. And if I don't create a set of practices and guidelines, if I don't create a spiritual trellis in my life, sooner or later, my spiritual life is going to wither. And the same thing for you. And I don't know what that looks like. There's no right or wrong way that you daily connect with God. I'm just telling you, in order for you to walk by the Spirit, we need spiritual trellises. And my prayer for you, if you don't have one, create one. Whatever it is, walk five minutes around the block. Just have a cup of coffee and just sit with Jesus. Word on the street is Jesus likes coffee. Whatever it is, how are you going to daily engage with the Father? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, I think about how many times I have lived to satisfy the flesh, and yet you have forgiven me every time. And I think about how loving and kind and gracious you are, and it overwhelms me. Thank you for Bob and Linda Jones. Thank you for their testimony. Thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you for showing us what it looks like when we say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. How you change our appetites from the inside out. God, you're, you're continually doing a work in us and we say thank you. God, I pray right now for the man or woman or maybe the marriage or maybe the student or the widow or the widower that is ex just, they're just exhausted. And they thought they were doing everything right. They thought they were battling against the flesh constantly. That it's just one simple switch of no longer trying to battle the flesh, but live and walk by the spirit. And so God, I pray for who was ever exhausted, would you restore them mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, would you help us every day to walk with you. We thank you. We love you in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the weekly podcast from Journey Christian Church. If this message was a blessing to you, be sure to click the follow button and share it with your family and friends. For more information about Journey Christian Church, please go to journeychristian.com.